Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. Hey, good morning and welcome to Crosspoint. We're so glad that you've joined us online. And welcome to those of you who've joined us for the first time. We would love to connect with you today online. You can, uh, in the chat feed, talk to one of our hosts, and they would love to talk with you and meet you for the first time online. Uh, But today, uh, I would like to start by getting personal. And I want to ask you a question. If God spoke to you today and asked you to do anything, what would you do? Like, really, if the ground rattled and the heavens opened up and the voice of God came to you like thunder in this audible noise and shook the place around you and told you to do something, would you do what he says? You know, I I think that this is a hard question because typically we, we have this problem with authority. You know, we wince when someone tells us how to live or what to do we dye our hair neon green out of protest when people don't like the taste of our music. You know, we even roll, our eyes like tend to roll right out of our head when we hear politicians speak, and even believers tend to struggle with loyalty. And so recently, this discipleship pastor, uh, David Young, says that we have been taught that obedience is the opposite of faith and that it leads to slavery. But he says that couldn't be further from the truth. It is, in fact, that obedience leads to freedom. You know, imagine what the world would be like if we were obedient to all of God's commands today. Sounds a lot like heaven, doesn't it? You know, we can trust that the world would be a better place because God loves us. And we can obey his commands. And when we do that, we love him. You know, Jesus told his disciples, if you love me, obey my commands. So then the question really that we have today is, why is it so hard to do what he says? We talk a lot about what we should do, but not how we should do it. How can we obey God's commands? It's not necessarily that maybe that we don't love God. Perhaps it's that we don't know how or the cost is too high. Can you relate to that? Have you ever had a hard time effectively showing love to someone? Well, you know, we have this obedience problem, and obedience is God's love language. And so, how can we love God? You know, how we love God is not flexible. He does not waver. He does not compromise. He doesn't make mistakes, and you cannot practically love him a little or be half committed to him. There is one way to fully express our love to him by obeying his commands, and there is, in fact, we know it to be true, many ways that we can be disobedient to his commands. So let me tell you a story about one man's disobedience, King Saul. And you can find his story in the book of 1 Samuel. And if you have your Bible or your app today, I'm going to get you to turn to 1 Samuel. We're going to read from chapter 15, starting with verse 1. And so to get you up to speed today, let me give you a quick lesson in biblical history. The book of Samuel is a historical account of these three leaders who led Israel from 12 tribes and a bunch of judges to one unified kingdom. And during this time of the judges, God's people did what was right in their own eyes. 
God raised men and women to lead the people in Judges back to him. And he appointed a prophet to speak to the people on his behalf. And this prophet was Samuel. And so when Samuel was old and his sons were far from God, the elders of Israel asked for a king. They rejected God as supreme king of Israel in this vain, glorious desire to be independent of divine control. They brought the request to Samuel and said, give us a king. And so Samuel, at first, he discouraged it. He knew that this was wrong and, and that the people would eventually regret having a human king, a man for a king. But the Lord told Samuel to give Israel what they wanted, a king. And so this shift in leadership of Israel would establish the theocratic monarchy, a, a kingship appointed by God. And so the people wanted a flesh-and-bones king just like their neighbors, the nations around them. And Saul was the people's idea of a king. He was strong. He was a young donkey rancher from the tribe of Benjamin. And he was handsome, and he stood a foot above everyone else. He literally stood out. And so Samuel appointed Saul to be king of Israel about a thousand years before the birth of Christ and initiates the kingdom that would one day be ruled by the messianic king, Jesus a kingdom not of this world, where the King Jesus does not rule over mere lands and wealth, but in the hearts of those who follow him. But Saul's kingdom was not marked by success. Even though he was the people's choice, he failed to meet the Lord's moral qualifications, not only for kingship, but for kingdom. And so instead, Saul's reign was marked by disobedience to the Lord. And this is a critical story of one man's failure to reign as king, to reign on a throne that only belongs to God. But while this story is of one man's failure to love God and live under his lordship, it's a solemn object lesson to the dangers of the self-life and explains the costs of entering the true kingdom of God in spiritual power and victory. It has a critical personal application for each of us who follow Jesus. So simply put, even though God freely gives us so much, all he wants from us is our obedience. But we struggle with obedience, and so did King Saul. So what can we learn about loving God from Saul's disobedience? So we're going to find out. So let's read together the first part of the story, starting in verse 1. And Samuel said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over the people, Israel. Now, therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted that Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Hey, let's, let's stop here for a quick moment to fully understand what the Lord is asking Saul to do. The Lord instructs Saul to devote the Amalekites to destruction by completely wiping them out. You know, these Amalekites were distant cousins of the Israelite nation who had been abusing them for generations. And as a result of their persistent sin, God passes judgment on them, and Saul is instructed to destroy every Amalekite person, every Amalekite animal, house, treasure, and object. Now, this may seem odd to us as a practice of war, but this kind of destruction was common in ancient Eastern warfare between theocratic nations. And this 
custom is called karem, where a nation commits the spoils of holy wars exclusively to the victor's gods. Everyone should be killed. Everything should be burnt. Every valuable should be left behind. And so, since there was no chance of profit, holy crusaders devoted themselves to battle out of dedication as opposed to greed. So the Lord commands Saul to ha-haremta in the Hebrew, which is to dedicate or devote the Amalekites to him. Think about this. Has God ever asked you to give him everything? To leave everything behind? Exactly. This is what God is asking Saul to do. And so while you think about that, let's, let's see how Saul responds to God's commands. Let's read on in verse 4. So Saul summoned the people and numbered them into Lem, 200,000 men on foot and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. And then Saul said to the Canaanites, go, depart, go down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the people of Israel when we came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites, and Saul defeated the Amalekites from Ephalah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, and alive and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fattened calves and the lambs and all that was good. It would, utterly, would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. Let's pause again and take a quick inventory of Saul's response here. This is what Saul does. He warns the Kenites living amongst the Amalekites about what's about to go down. Is that what the Lord asked Saul to do? No. Is it possible that because of this, some of the Amalekites got away? Yes, it's possible. Anyways, he kills the, the people of Amalekite, the ones he finds. Then he destroys everything he does not want. He devotes to God everything that is worthless and despised through their destruction. He keeps King Agag as a prize, and he keeps all the valuables and the livestock for himself. Can you sense that there's something wrong here? To me, Saul is being a little bit of a weasel. Let's think about this. Have you ever responded to God's commands with a little creative license? Maybe you were just 80% obedient. And to you, that, that's pretty good. That's a passing grade in most people's book. Okay, by comparison, let's try something. Husbands at home, I want you to get the attention of your wives. I'll give you a moment. Get their attention. And I want you to turn to your wife, and I want you to look deep into her eyes right now. And I want you to say this. I 60% love you. That's pretty good. You can't do that, right? I've tried. You can't practically love someone halfway. You know it's true. I see you blushing. I can feel it. I'm blushing right now just thinking about it. Practically, you can't half love someone. But that's what Saul is doing here. He's only partly obedient, which isn't obedience at all. But wait, there's more. It gets worse. Let's keep reading. Verse 10. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. And the Lord says, I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry, and he cried to the Lord all night. 
and Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning. And it was told to Samuel that Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself, and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears and and the lowing of oxen that I hear? Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest we have devoted to destruction. Can you believe Saul right now? Like, seriously, not only does he work all the angles his way, you know, two plus two is five as you work it right, he blatantly disregards the specifics of God's command. But now it's worse. He wants us to throw him a little celebration. And he's, you know, the Lord tells Samuel what Saul has done, and Samuel finds him setting up a monument in his honor and says, Hey, Samuel, I've performed the commandment of the Lord, the one he's given me. Can you imagine how boggled Samuel must have been in this confrontation? Samuel must have been thinking, is this guy blind? Can he not see what he's done? Well, let me tell you, the answer is yes, and it's also, it's no. You know, we can all be spiritually blind sometimes. See, Saul isn't wholly aware of the extent or the implications of his disobedience, but he knows that he's done something. And he's starting to squirm under the thumb of Samuel in this confrontation. And so he starts to list off excuses. Saul starts to blame the people for his disobedience. He says, they have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest we have devoted to destruction to you. Can you believe Saul at this point? Is there anyone like this guy? Who is this guy? Let me ask you, have you ever made excuses for your disobedience? Have you ever shifted blame when your motives were um, just questioned? I have. Think about it. Think about it right now. Is that you? But wait, it gets worse. There's more. Samuel is not done with Saul. Let's keep reading, starting with verse 16. So then Samuel said to Saul, Stop, just stop. I'll tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And he said to him, Speak. And Samuel said, Through you, though you are little in your own eyes, are you not head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go, devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took the spoil and the sheep and the oxen and the best things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. See, Samuel, he reminds Saul that initially he was made king of Israel because of his humility. Saul was anointed by God to lead his people, to obey the voice of the Lord. 
But Saul changed. You know, he, he started to do what is evil in God's sight, whatever Saul wanted to do. So how does Saul respond to Samuel? Well, you know, disobedience is a slippery slope. Disobedience sometimes leads to more disobedience. And so, you know, Saul is digging himself into a, a hole here. Saul continues to deny any wrongdoing and continues to make excuses. The self-deception he has has made him completely like delusional. And his disobedience has led him far away from God. And even his excuses to begin to squeak with shame. He, Saul can't even admit that the Lord is his God. He says to Samuel, but the people took the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to the destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord, your God, Samuel, your God, not my God, in Gilgal. See, in Saul's disobedience, he cannot even call Lord his God, the Lord his God, in Samuel's presence. Think about it. Have you ever just like felt ashamed of your disobedience? Have you, you felt overwhelmed? Did it overwhelm you? See, God cannot be your Lord while you live in disobedience. Samuel thinks there's a better way. And so at this point, Samuel's had enough of Saul's excuses. And so in a strong prophetic word, Samuel cuts through Saul's ignorance like a knife. And listen, this is important for us today. So let's start reading with verse 22. Pay attention. This is important. And Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. See, Samuel is saying, listen, God is not looking for your empty words and your pageantry and your meaningless ceremonies. He loves you. He wants your care and your attention. He wants your obedience. He wants your heart. He wants all of you. And to, to us, when we hear that, it's hard because it makes us feel vulnerable. And while Saul's disobedience to God may seem like an extreme example, I wonder how many times we've acted just like him today. How many little compromises have we permitted ourselves to make? How have we rationalized our, our dishonesty? How many times have we shifted blame and, and, and avoided responsibility? We have brought been judgmental of the sins of others while committing our own. And we have been more concerned about our reputation than we have been about cultivating godly character. We've made excuses. We've made grand gestures. But how many times have we obeyed Jesus' commands in silence and in secret? See, Saul struggled with the same things that many followers of Jesus struggle with every day. I think we are just as vulnerable to desires and pride and control, just like Saul was. But the question we must ask ourselves today is, does God have our hearts? Do we truly love him? See, we, we may not be kings and queens, but because of Jesus, we are part of a kingdom. And he sits on the throne, and now King Jesus is calling those of who love him to obey his commands. So 
the question we want to answer today is how can we be obedient to God? I know there's things that Jesus is asking me to do, but how can I be obedient? And so we can learn three things about God's obedience from Saul's story. We learn how to demonstrate our love to God. So first, we can demonstrate our love by offering King Jesus our complete devotion. Complete devotion. Think about it. Why was it so crucial that Saul destroys everything in Amalek and devote it to the Lord? Well, because it demonstrates his complete devotion to the Lord. There was nothing for him to gain. He would not get the spoils. He would not please the people. None of the glory would be his. He would only please God. You know, have you ever made that kind of sacrifice? Give him everything, completely. Let me give you an example of this kind of devotion. You know, picture this. During the the Franco-Prussian War in the late 1800s, there was um, a gunner named Pierre Barlow. And it was during the siege of Paris that he was operating heavy guns that you can see on the screen here today. And one day, his commanding officer, General Noel, instructed him to set his sights on a small home near the Sevra Bridge. And a group of invaders had taken shelter there, and they needed to be driven out. And upon this request, Pierre's face went pale. But he carefully dialed the large gun to the coordinates and fired directly upon the small shack. Direct hit. And General Noel applauded Pierre's devastating hit. Nothing remained but a single tear rolled down Pierre's cheek. The commander took notice of this and he said, what, what's the matter, Barlow? And Pierre took a, a deep breath and he composed himself. Pardon me, General, said Pierre softly. It was my house, everything I had in the world. See that? That's devotion. Pierre gave everything for Paris. It's when we take great personal risk for, earth, for little earthly gain. That de- that's devotion. Obedience has a cost. So let me ask you, if King Jesus asked you to give up everything, would you? Because obedience requires our complete devotion. We cannot be tied down to anything in this world, and we need to hold all things loosely. But obedience to God's it won't just require your complete devotion. It will require you to love him more than you love yourself. And so the second way we can demonstrate our love is by offering King Jesus our real humility. See, it, it was Saul's pride that made it so hard for him to obey the Lord. It was pride that made him fear the people more than he feared God. Saul was so blinded by pride. He couldn't see or confess his sins. It was pride that made it impossible for him to truly repent. And it was because of that pride that the kingdom of God was torn from him. See, we will not have a part in God's kingdom unless we live with real humility. Well, what what does that look like? Well, we know that we find real humility in the life of King Jesus. It is because of his obedience that he has legitimate claim to the throne. And it is his perfect life, death, and resurrection that he is glorified. And if our lives are not in alignment with the humility of Jesus, we cannot obey his commands. We cannot obey his commands. If we can't do that, we cannot love him, and then we have no part in his kingdom. See, alignment to the pattern of Jesus is critical for those of us trying to follow him. Like, think about this. For example, when I was about 16 years old, I crashed my parents' car. 
is embarrassing. And you know, one icy weekday, I took my dad's SUV on for a spin uh, to do an errand, and I was only two blocks away from the house, and I hit an icy patch, and I blew right through a stop sign right into a street curb. You know, nobody was around, and everything seemed to be okay. And so when I tried to drive away, the car violently rattled and squealed. The impact of hitting that street curb had just completely bent the wheel on the right side on its axle. And so it was so mangled, it could hardly budge in any definitive direction. The two tires were completely out of alignment. It was impossible to move forward. The left tire wanted to go straight while the other one wanted to go left. And at this point, there was nothing I could do but call for help. How to call it a tow truck. I was so embarrassed in front of my dad. I could not move forward without alignment. And so just like my father's car, just like in the story, the kingdom of God cannot advance if the people of God are not aligned with the humility of Christ. When we have self-giving humility, the self-giving humility of Christ, we can live in obedience to God's commands as he did. And he was obedient to his father when he humbly laid down his life for us. And because of his resurrection, we're not only spared God's judgment, but we are free from the power of sin in Christ. We can think and we can act like Jesus did. And Jesus was not just passive in his obedience on the cross. He was actively obedient by giving us his very life. The Bible says that it is Christ in us that is the hope of glory. But it is one thing to give up the world humbly but it is another thing entirely to give up yourself. Yet this is what King Jesus requires those who love him and obey his commands. So it's to hand over our lives in exchange for his. And so for this reason, the final way that we can demonstrate our love to King Jesus is by offering him our total surrender. Saul didn't struggle to obey the Lord exclusively because he was greedy and prideful. He could not entirely give himself to God. He thought too much of himself and too little of God. And God did not wholly possess Saul's heart. And so Saul reserved parts of his heart for himself and gave them to the people and to his earthly desires and lusts. And Saul was not yet aware of his inadequacy and at the edge of his need for God. He could not put King Agag to death because he could not kill the disobedient part of himself. And when a follower of the Lord cannot die to self, King Jesus cannot reign in them. So if you love the Lord, he is asking you to come and die so that he might live in you. Could you imagine what the world would look like if we were just to obey all of God's commands? If we just lived in total surrender by giving ourselves completely to him, totally in surrender? You know, let me give you an example of what this looks like. William Booth was only 15, and he worked in a pawn shop when he surrendered his life totally to Christ. And you know, he, his message would reach thousands of souls for Christ when he becomes a preacher, and his love for the poor and the sick would start all these inner-city missions across London and England and abroad, and he had this huge reach because of his life. And this enterprise witnessed for Jesus for generations 
And Booth was named the first general of the Salvation Army that we have come to know. And so the American evangelist, Dr. J.W. Chapman, wondered what Booth's key to success was. And when he had the opportunity to ask him, this was Booth's response. Chapman wrote this. Booth hesitated for a second. And I saw the tears come into his eyes and steal down his cheek. And then he said, I will tell you the secret. God has had all there was of me. There have been men with greater brains than I, men with greater opportunities. But from the day I got the poor of London on my heart and the vision of what Jesus Christ could do with the poor of London, I made up my mind that God would have all of William Booth there was. And if there's anything of power in the Salvation Army today, it is because God has, a, has all the adoration of my heart, all the power of my will, and all the influence in my life. And so Dr. Chapman said he went away from that meeting with General Booth with this simple truth. The greatness of a man's power is equal to the measure of his surrender to Christ. The greatness of a man's power is equal to the measure of his total surrender to Christ. Can you imagine that? If we want to see God move in power right now, we need to live in total surrender. If we seek the glory of God, we need to count ourselves as dead and devoted to the Lord through our destruction. And then we receive the fullness of Christ in the sweetest exchange for death and we get life. We trade ourselves for himself, disobedience for obedience, our heart for his heart. What could be better? And so today, if you follow Jesus, you're going to have to open yourself up completely in relationship with him. And so when you truly love God, there's no part of you that he cannot have. Jesus loved us so much that he gave himself all of him, gave us all of himself. And we obey his commands because we are holding nothing back in return. So I want you to ask yourself, is there any part of you that you will not give God? I understand if you struggle with that. A relationship with God can make you feel exposed. Love is vulnerable. I admit that. And maybe that's how you, you feel right now. There's this lady named Sarah Bournes who's a part of a house church in New York right now. And she wrote this poem about being a disciple of Jesus during the COVID-19 pandemic. And the title of her poem was, We've All Been Exposed. And I want to read it to you today, but while I read it, I want you to consider if this is your prayer and your confession. It certainly was mine. And so while I read it, I just want you to close your eyes and just think on these words. Sarah writes, We've all been exposed. Not necessarily to the virus, but maybe, who even really knows? We've all been exposed by the virus. Corona is exposing us, exposing our weak sides, exposing our dark sides, exposing what normally lies far beneath the surface of our souls, hidden by the invisible masks we wear, but is now exposed by the paper masks we can't hide far enough behind. Corona is exposing our addiction to comfort, our obsession with control, our compulsion to hoard, our protection of self. Corona is peeling back our layers, tearing down our walls, 
and revealing our illusions, leveling our best laid plans. See, Corona is exposing the gods we worship, our health, our hurry, our sense of security, our favorite lies and our secret lusts, our misplaced trust. Corona is calling everything into question. Like, what is a church without a building? What is my worth without an income? How do we plan without certainty? How do we love despite risk? Sarah writes, Corona is exposing me, my mindless numbing, my endless scrolling, my careless words, my fragile nerves. We've all been exposed. Our junk laid bare, our fears made known, the band-aid torn, the masquerade done. So what now? What's left? Well, there's clean hands and clear eyes and tender hearts. And what corona reveals, we believe God can heal. So we pray, come Lord Jesus, have mercy on us. And so Crosspoint, maybe that's your prayer and your confession. And so I want to give you a practical opportunity to respond today to God in obedience. And so as usual, like we do every Sunday, we're going to invite you to join us in a few minutes of corporate reflective prayer. So I want you to turn your attention to King Jesus. He is here and he is for us. He is faithful and all-sufficient. And in him is the fullness of God. And through him we can have rich, new, and abundant life. So I want you to take a couple of minutes to join us in praying. And you can join along with those at home or on your own, but know this, the Lord is with you right now. And while we pray together, you're going to see some examples of how you can pray on the screen. And then afterwards, I'm going to commission us to go. Well, let me pray, and then we'll join each other in reflective prayer. Lord God, we turn ourselves to you and repent. And we ask that you uh, take our lives and give us your life so we may be obedient to you. And we just, we just love you for it. We love you for it. Amen. Let's pray together.
So, Lord God, we just proclaim that you are king of this city and have your way here. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton. And you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.